Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. And hopefully this week we'll speak a bit more about Heart of Midlothian Football Club, given recent shows have focused quite a lot on Scottish football and skullduggery on the whole. I am Laurie Dunsayer, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Good evening. Um, yeah, I was going to say it's been a busy week. It's not been a busy week for anybody, I would imagine. Uh, where are we in Scottish football? <sighs> Who knows? So today when you sent me a message saying how about we do this game for Maroon Memories, you could have picked any game and I would have agreed to it. But this one's a good one. <laughs> yes, so we've spent quite a bit of time in the last few episodes, and we think rightly so, uh, talking about the general happening in Scottish football, the uh, scandal, so to speak, um, about the resolution, voting, reconstruction and everything. So we're going to try and talk a bit more about hearts, and a bit more lighthearted, but we're going to talk about some of your non-hearts football days out as well a bit later on, but a bit more hearts focus before that. Uh, before we begin to all that, the only thing I was going to mention in terms of recent news, I thought worthwhile, uh, hearts confirmed that over 2,000 fans have now renewed season tickets for the next campaign whenever or in what form that may be but uh, i thought it was quite a positive move and i haven't seen anyone else do that I'm not saying that anyone that other clubs might not have done it and i've just not spotted it but the heart said i'll just quickly quote them uh, today we would like to confirm a season ticket guarantee pledge that will ensure supporters get the full value of their 2020-21 season ticket regardless of how next season shapes up. To be absolutely clear, the club is making a very simple pledge to supporters who renew their season ticket for 2021. No one will lose out. A 20-21 season ticket guarantees you 18 matches at Tynecastle Park, regardless of what league we play in or the duration of the campaign. If season 2021 cannot offer supporters access to a full complement of 18 home games, then fans who renew their season ticket for the following season will be credited with the value of the outstanding number of matches for season 21-22. Those who chose not to renew the season ticket will be offered a relevant number of match tickets for season 21-22. These tickets will be subject to availability. In short, the club is committed to ensuring that no supporter will be left disadvantaged as a result of securing their seat at Tynecastle for the 2021 season. And I think that's a really good move, actually, just to confirm that, because... I guess there's a lot of questions going up. You understand why clubs are putting season tickets up for sale because they need income, they need that revenue desperately. You know, they need it generally at this time of year, but even more so now. But obviously fans, albeit fans are often happy to commit regardless of the situation, but it is good to get that clarity and hearts are confirming that they're not going to be, you know, if, if, if next season ends up being a shortened campaign or half a season or something, we don't know what's going to happen then people aren't going to lose out. So I thought it was quite a good move for them to get that out there quite quickly. Yeah, agreed. I looked at the messages, the responses. I wish, I don't know why I do that, but <laughs> I suppose it's a, it's a bit like a car crash at times. You don't want to look, but you can't really take your eyes off them. Some of the messages, the responses were fine. Uh, and a lot of them said, look, once you announce Levine's gone, we'll give you our money. So I think that's a case of when rather than if. And... <laughs> The other ones, the infighting, is it just, it's not just Hearts fans, every every kind of club has fans that bicker with each other, but it's like, I'm not buying a season, they don't even know what league they're in. Yeah, <laughs> the point of being a supporter is you support the club regardless. So, yeah, there's there's those people as well. Let's let's not focus on them, let's focus on the ones that want to be at Tynecastle next season, regardless of what league Hearts are in, and well done to Hearts for doing this today. And it was good as well. I saw on a, oh, I said I wouldn't go off topic from Hearts too much, but I saw Park Thistle. Um, I think almost everyone who had a season ticket did not take up the option of getting part refunds because the season's not going to finish. I think 64 of about 2,000 got it, so it saved Park Thistle about 75 grand, I read, uh, because fans didn't claim that back. And I thought that was... Uh, I can't understand why fans would do that, but it's quite good to just at least see that they've 
they're they're thinking about their their club in that sense, and and that's what fans do. And to be honest, sometimes football clubs take the piss a little bit, knowing that supporters will put their hand in their pocket and will often turn up and put money into the club regardless of what's going on. But I guess in times like these, you want to look past the kind of the the, the little gripes and so and such like, don't you? You want to think this is. It's not quite the same as when we had that game against St Mirren and it was going to be our last and everyone had to chip in, but it's still extreme measures at the moment. And I think every penny that can go into the club is going to be huge in making sure that yeah. we get through this. Yeah, but it is hard. There is another side of the coin on of this. Of course, yeah. People, people are struggling for money right now. And as much as a lot of people would want to put money into hearts and buy a season ticket, regardless of what league they're in, uh, it's totally understandable if, if that isn't a priority yeah. right now because we, we don't know when, when we're going to see football again. Will it be from this season that's to be continued? Will it be for next season? We just don't know. Yeah, and that's a very good point as well. Obviously, our situations are not too bad compared to some, but yeah, some people already can't work and, and can't earn any money. And I, know, and I know some people in that boat. So I know it's a fair point as well that not everyone can put their hand put their hand in their pocket just now, even if they wanted to. But anyway, we will have a couple of things to go through on today's show and, and hopefully keep it, a lot of it maroon and the rest of it fairly light-hearted. Okay, so first up, we're going to do another maroon memory. So I'll look back to uh, the history, the past of hearts. This one's a fairly recent past, but the reason it came up is we had a significant date in hearts history on Sunday, just past, which was the 3rd of May. Um, some might think of a certain point in Hearts history, but we're but we're not going there. I'm not even going to mention hey. it. Um, but on that date, the 3rd of May, 14 years ago, Hearts made history on a tense evening in Gorgie. So this is Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 2006. Hearts hosted Aberdeen in their final match of the final home match of the season. 24 hours earlier, Rangers had defeated Hibs at Easter Road 2-1, which meant that the Ibrox side were breathing down the Jambo's neck in the battle for second place. The runners-up spot in the SPL was, at that time, a Champions League place, and ahead of a gargantuan night in the capital. Hearts were in the driving seat, albeit just a point ahead of the Jers. That meant that victory over the Dons would seal a place in the Champions League for the boys in Maroon, which would make them the first Scottish club outside of Glasgow to do so. But failure to earn three points would set up a nervy final game of the campaign between Rangers and Hearts in Glasgow. So sitting in second place with just two games remaining uh, was, on the face of it, a brilliant achievement for Hearts, considering the Jambos hadn't finished above third in the table for 14 years. However, it had been a turbulent campaign at Tynecastle, despite the relative success. The club were already on their third manager of the campaign, with Lithuanian Valdas Ivanauskas at the helm following the short stints of George Burley and Graham Ricks. In addition, accusations of interference in team matters from owner Vladimir Romanov had provided much scandal, and in the boardroom, Chief Executive Phil Anderton and Chairman George Foulkes had both left the club under acrimonious circumstances. The Jambos sat on 71 points, so already their highest total. But 10 of their 21 wins recorded before the end of October. Um, so that's 10 wins in 12 games, but then just 11 from the preceding 24. So a lot of that was influenced by the likes of a certain Rudy Scatchel, who grabbed 16 goals in his first 26 games for the club with that campaign, but in the build-up to this game against Aberdeen was without a goal in 12. But despite all that, Hearts had found a second wind in the final quarter of the season. Despite a disappointing derby defeat at Easter Road, Ivanauskas' side had warmed up for the Aberdeen game with a thumping 3-0 victory over Celtic at Tynecastle. Hartley! 2-0 to Hearts! Celtic was sleeping! Boric was not ready! Scatchel winning that from Nakamura. Here's Pelfa. Celtic building up some attacking momentum here. Tal makes a good headed clearance. 
Hartley, obvious with a header. Maloney tries to read that. Aguilar did well to resist. This is Chesnowskis. Now Hartley. That's for Bednar. He's onside. Chance for the hard start. He's made it. A resounding win in the Edinburgh sunshine with goals from Stephen McManus, an own goal. Paul Hartley and Roman Bednar giving Hearts a terrific three points against Celtic, who had already been crowned champions. So, Mark, set the scene. You're obviously working at Hearts. You're a bit more involved at that point. This was, I guess, biggest game of the season at that point. Yeah, and a lot to look forward to um, with the cup final um, coming up. We'd already beaten uh, Hibernian by four goals to nil. So we knew we were going to be facing Gretna in the Mm -hmm. cup final and there would be no better way to go into that game than by being victorious against Aberdeen. Interesting one nerves-wise because it's easy now or easier now when you look back at the big days that we've had as heart supporters and the ones that you think you were probably going to be more nervous than, than others. I can only speak for myself, but going into that game, I was... I was relatively confident because I didn't really rate an Aberdeen side that ultimately didn't didn't do too much in the game. They had some reasonable players, but they didn't really have anybody who you kind of thought, oh, I'm a bit worried about facing them. And we were above them in the table. We had a bit of momentum. The Skatcher one's an interesting one because he, he kind of lost form. His form was the first half of the season. He was Burley's boy. And once Burley went, he didn't get that same level. But I still feel when I look at the team, um, that that's maybe why I was confident. Why other I say confident. Hearts fans can never be confident. But I wasn't as nervous as I thought it would be. Nielsen um, at fullback with Craig Gordon and goal. Fisas on the other side. Presley and Tall. Aguiar and Chesnowskis. Hartley and Scatto. Jankowskis and Bednar. Bloody hell! What a team that was. It was interesting though. You mentioned the team, so it was a four-four-two with that team that you mentioned. Um, for the for this Aberdeen game, Hearts named the same starting eleven as the win against Celtic, which, well, you'd expect. You beat Celtic three 0 First time since the New Year period that the Jambos had done that. That named the same lineup for two games running, which I think showed a lot about the second half of that season. Because at the start of the season, um, you could pretty much, and I'm going to. Can name your team. You had Gordon and goals. What do you have? Nielsen right, Fisas left. You had Presley Webster mm-hmm. in the middle. You had you had Miko. You had Hartley and Brellier, and you had um, Scatchel, and then you had Jankowskis Bednar, and that got started to get changed up because of injuries. Miko Miko came on. Miko came on for for Scatchel. It was Aguiar and Hartley uh, in midfield. Chesnowskis and Scatchel. Yeah. On either side, Jankowskis and Bednar. Brelli came on late for Aguiar, Fospisil late for Bednar, and Miko on just after the hour mark for Scatchel. Yeah, I mean, what I meant was at the start of the season, we had a lot of consistency in the team, but at this Sorry, point, yeah, gotcha. at this point mm-hmm. everything had, had, obviously, had obviously been mixed up a little bit. And things like Ibrahim Tal, who was non-existent for over half the season, <laughs> nine grand a week for what we thought was just nothing. <laughs> and obviously, and, it, and it's been well, it's been well um, documented now that George Burley had no idea about him. It wasn't his signing at all. At, at all, I should say. Um, <laughs> and then, and obviously Aguiar came in as well. So a lot of changes, but at this point we, we it did feel like we'd started to get into our groove a little bit. I mean, and even the bench, you mentioned a couple of them there, but Steve Banks, Christoph Bear on there, Lee Wallace, Brellier, Michelunas, Pospisil, who incidentally, Mikhail Pospisil, was celebrating his 27th birthday that day. So he's now hmm. now just turned 41. Ooh. Well, Paul <laughs> Hartley's the same age as me. That's when you kind of think, ooh. <laughs> um, Jimmy Calderwood's Aberdeen side. We're still in with a chance of beating Hibs to fourth place and the UEFA Cup spot. Um, the Dons made just one change to their team following a 4-0 win against the Hybees. There were seven unbeaten as well, Aberdeen, at that point. Um, their starting living contained former Hearts man Scott Severin as well. He was playing at centre-back. Uh, it, it was an electric atmosphere at Tynecastle. It was a tense one. I mean, I can remember feeling the tension in my season ticket seat in Section G at the time. And I think it was a bit of a nervy game, I think, for players as well. There was a game where Hearts dominated possession in the first period, but they struggled to break down a fairly resolute Aberdeen side. It was, as I mentioned, a scrappy game. They didn't offer an awful lot in the final third, but they weren't giving Hearts a whole lot of opportunities either. Um, 36 minutes played, and Hearts create their best chance so far. It's over there, blank, two tries to get in, and jump on it, brilliant 
Jill coming in on that blind run and that's the nearest hearts have come to scoring. Now this was a brilliant effort by Scantle, a very difficult ball to take, right to the goal line and he had to hook it back, most unfortunate, that could have been the opening goal. That was Roman Bednar floating across into the back post area. Scatchel arriving late, as he often did, sliding in, getting a volley, but across the goal and agonisingly wide. And the goal drought continues, and it would continue until that cup final. Uh, former Hibs striker Stevie Crawford fired a chance into the side net on the spin before Scatchel and Bednar had long-range attempts that failed to break the deadlock. Frustration growing amongst the Maroon faithful. Nil-nil at the break. Early in the second half, though, a stramash ensued in the box after a Robbie Nielsen cross, but Jankowskis couldn't convert. But after the ball was cleared, Hearts had a throw-in on the right-hand side just seconds later. I think uh, it's going to be a penalty kick. This is the incident that produced a penalty kick. In it comes. Langfield misses out there, and there's the hand, blatantly used. Penalty. So it's a trademark launch from Robbie Nielsen, flicked on by Roman Bednar over Jamie Langfield in the Don's goal. On the line, a flailing hand from Don skipper Russell Anderson keeps it out, but gives Stuart Dougal, the referee, no option but to award a penalty. 51 minutes on the clock, a pressure kick for Hearts. But a couple of things before we get to that. Um, for those, we might have younger listeners or people who didn't see Robbie Nielsen much, but God, his throw-in was ridiculous, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it wasn't one of these he needed a somersault or whatever. He was just able to launch it. And we didn't have someone like a Kevin James or a big, tall, lanky player um, that we'd maybe had previously. But it, it's funny we're talking about that because I've, I just watched earlier today um, a, a kind of argument um, on ESPN FC because Liverpool have got a throw-in coach. And Stevie Nicholl came out a few months ago when it was announced and said, why? What's the point of this guy? And then yesterday, the the, the guy who's Liverpool's throwing coach, who's employed by Jurgen Klopp, said, uh, well, he called Stevie Nicol a dinosaur. And he said back when Stevie was playing, albeit it was a great player, but they used to celebrate wins by downing 10 pints. And he's a dinosaur. <laughs> um, the game has moved on, but Robbie Nielsen... Um, didn't need a throwing coach. He could he could launch it, and he was pretty accurate as well, if I remember. Yeah, I think when I didn't really know anything about Robbie Nielsen, I remember this is in the Jambo. It's probably still kicking about this. You know the old Hearts magazine when it was still called the Jambo. <laughs> I used um, to write for that. You, you will have. The, I remember when Robbie Nielsen was in it. He was a teenager. He was still in the youth teams. I don't know what age, but it was a lot of his focus on him was his throwing, and I'm sure it said that he can clear the other half, the other side of the pitch from, as in, doing it widthways. Is that right? <laughs> Sorry, my, my mind just... Uh, you know when you, you're you pretending, well, you, you think you're listening to someone what they're saying, <laughs> you actually, your mind's meandered somewhere. And you, I just remember doing a weekly piece. Instead, it's the worst headline ever that we called this piece. Instead of saving Private Ryan, we called it Following Striker Ryan. And it was a season with <laughs> Ryan Davidson. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> Yeah, we've spoken about that before. And sorry, that that just took me back to I don't know if I had the hex on him or whatever. Or poor Ryan, which just wasn't very good. Um, yeah, that that was the jamble. You you throw across the way, don't you? Or yeah. What do you mean? I sorry. Think. Eh? Is that not what you were talking about? Well, well yeah. I, I mean, he's hand. not. I mean, he's not going to be able to throw it from one goal line to the other. But but I'm sure I remember reading that he could throw it all the way across the pitch from one side to the other. So one touchline to the other touchline. I could see him getting to the far side of the 18-yard box um, with a couple of bounces. There's no way you're throwing that. You'd need wind and you'd need Well, that's what I was just thinking, but I'm sure I remember seeing that, that it was possible Mm. for him to do it. But, I mean, that is... That would be... It it depends. It depends because Hearts, notoriously in Scottish football, have got one of the, 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 the less wider pitches. It's very narrow. Uh, compared to to some yeah. of the others, the old Kilmarnock pitch or the old Parkhead pitch or Hamden, you you ain't throwing it one side to the other. Tynecastle, you might have a chance, but you you need you need the conditions in your favour. No, it it just I'm, in my head I read that, that he'd done that before, but it just seemed a, 
it, it just seemed slightly ridiculous. But may, maybe not. I, I think I might have some of those old Hearts magazines kicking about. I'm going to try and find them next time I can visit my parents. <laughs> they, they might be I'm in the attic. To, I'm trying to think of the chronology of, of various Hearts publications because I wrote for a few of them. Um, I used to do an in-house piece for... Would it have been... The Jamble was an official publication, wasn't it? Yeah, the Jamble sure, was sure. an official club one, and yeah. then they changed it to just like the Hearts magazine, but it was the same yeah. same idea, just yeah. to change the title. Right, so the Jamble, if I remember rightly, was edited by David Dalgleish in the early stages, uh, who was the PR guy at Tyne Castle, and, and I did a... Um, they didn't have a... Did they have a PR team apart from Dougie? Not really, so... Um, I did a piece with Chris Robinson every month. Uh, some of the some of his ideas were all right. Um, the worst of his ideas, of course, was was thinking it could go to Murrayfield. Um, but it, it was a, it was all right. It wasn't a Pravda magazine. I mean, it, it, you you can be critical, but it, you could have a proper voice. And and we had a bit of carte blanche to to come up with ideas to do stuff. It was fine. It's very difficult to grade a magazine that you're writing in, what you think the, the magazine as a whole. It's, it's for others to decide. It was fine. Um, anyway, where were we? A tangent mid-game. Um, Ro- Robbie Nielsen's throw yes. as part of that Hearts team was a, a weapon that, that came in very handy. It, d- it certainly did. And it won Hearts a penalty at this point. Um, do you remember how you were feeling at this point? Shitting myself. <laughs> Talking about not being not overly nervous, but then as the game wore on, Nil um, nil at half time. They hadn't offered much, as you've mentioned, but there was always that we're going to get this goal because we. The key thing here, we didn't want to go to Ibrox on the Sunday and need something from that game. No. We wanted to go to Ibrox, having beaten Aberdeen, and as it transpired, <laughs> the fans could bring their Sunday mails and their <laughs> Sunday posts and their their Sunday Times for those of them that were pretending to be posh, and and read them. And not care about the game. So that's what that's what Hearts wanted to do. And make sure that the game against Rangers on the Sunday was redundant. But when we got the penalty, wow. It, it was a penalty. Now, I actually will be reading you, um, like an audiobook style, the prologue from Believe with regards to Paul Hartley and Stuart Dougal. But that is for right at the end of, of this game that we are doing. So I'm not going to do it right now, because we're only at the how did you feel when the penalty was awarded. Um, the, the, the great excitement of, of being given a spot kick, I mean, it was a pretty clear penalty. Um, it soon dies down to, shit, what have you misses? <laughs> so, so I, I've been doing some research into Paul Hartley's penalties with Hearts. Okay. Um, he, he scored them. This, <laughs> he, he did, he took 10 for Hearts. Um, this, four, five, six, seven, this was penalty eight of ten, okay? His previous penalty was the previous month, pretty much a month to the day when he knocked it past Zibi Malkowski from 12 yards. Um, so he was seven from seven. It, it, it's a roller coaster of emotion. It's, yes, penalty. Oh, shit, what if we miss? Wait a minute, it's Hartley. So you've gone up, down, kind of halfway there again. If there was one player who only missed one penalty in all his career, <laughs> that was against Hearts for Celtic at Tynecastle. Was it deliberate? He would never admit that publicly. I don't know. But we had, I think, one of the best penalty takers we have had um, for all for as long as any of us have been going to see Hearts. Um, so you're kind of as confident as you you hope to be. But... And here's the other thing. A penalty in the Scottish Cup semi-final when... Uh, now, what was the score when Paul Hartley scored that penalty? Let's have a little look here. Um, so the 4-0 game against Hibs. At what stage uh, Paul Hartley... Made it three. Penalty. It made it... No, it didn't. Four. It made it four. It was the last one. It I was after Jankowski. So yes. Yeah, it was. So, so that it was his hat-trick, but there's no pressure, right? Because you game's won. You know you're in the final. So it's without doubt and without question the most important penalty that he's taken in his career uh, in the top flight because the other ones he's taken for whoever, um, like St. Johnston and, and, and Hibbs, if he, if he even took them there, uh, nowhere near as important. So you don't know how he's feeling. 
but we soon found out he was he was pretty confident. Paul Hartby with it. Eight minutes into the second half. Up he comes. That's it. Hearts look to be there all right. So yes, as always, for Hearts anyway, Hartley makes no mistake, in front of the Gorgie stand, he sends the ball to the left, Langfield goes the right way, but too much power and accuracy, 1-0. I think Hartley took, I, I don't have them in front of me, but we have spoken about it before and I'll have to get the info up. I'm sure he was about 16 he took with Hearts and scored all 16. Well, I've got 10 here. This is a website called transfermarket.com that's, that's usually... I'm pretty accurate. The the thing you we can do, and we can kind of cross it off with uh, London Hearts, because I'd certainly trust London Hearts more. It's just I know how to get into um, the the penalties. I'm, I'm sure I read it from them because we were looking at penalty takers, um, and I'm sure it was comparing and. I, I'm pretty. I know Hartley scored them all, and I, I want to say 16, but around that mark um, I don't have it to hand now I can't remember if they tweeted it or if they posted it on on kickback because I know that uh, Davey Allen does sometimes post things on kickback who runs London Hearts but um, we'll find out there's no point in sitting looking for it right now but I, um, I'm, I'm pretty certain it was maybe 16 he'd taken and 16 he'd scored well so re- regardless of I mean that this is gone by the transfer market website that, that I was on whatever it was he was 100% um, coming into that game against Aberdeen, yes, um, definitely having scored having scored penalties, and thankfully, as we've just heard, uh, good penalty, good penalty, and uh, very little that that goalkeeper Jamie Langfield could could do about it. And that was when you wanted the full time whistle. Unfortunately, there was still rather a fair bit of time to go. There was, I, I have to say, I mean. From what I remember, it's a while ago now, and I would have been having a few beers as well, so my memory of it should be slightly more hazy than yours. But I don't remember feeling a huge amount of tension as much as you would after we'd got the goal. It did feel like that kind of game where the problem would be trying to get the goal. It didn't feel like Aberdeen were going to put up much. I remember feeling nervous before, and I remember, like you said, the penalty being, oh my God, it was almost like watching Beatty step up for the semi-final. It was just like (laughs) so much, so much rests on this. And and if you think ahead Uh as well, it could well, everything could have been very different if we hadn't scored that penalty and maybe had drawn nil-nil, not just with the fact that Rangers could have beaten us to second place in the Champions League the week after, but... Who knows if then the fact that we'd had to play a full team against Rangers and maybe it had taken a lot out of us, who knows how that might have affected the Scottish uh-huh. Cup final because we got taken all the way as it was and that was with resting much of those players the week before. So it could have changed yeah. quite a few things. Thankfully it didn't. Um, Hearts tried to put the game to bed. Good work from Jankowskis on the right. Found substitute uh, saw Mikulunis, his header was saved by Langfield. Um, the game did appear to be getting away from Aberdeen and their hopes seemed all but lost with just over 10 minutes remaining when former Hearts man Severin got himself sent off. Got Severin going forward. And I think there's going to be a booking. Aguilar went down. Oh, he's red-carded. The man who's been quite superb in the first half is red carded for this. Watch him going in. And he digs in both feet. That is a very bad foul. So Seven takes a heavy touch and lunges in on Bruno Aguiar. No real doubt about the decision. Dons down to 10. Um, Hearts, with the lead and the man advantage, held on. <laughs> Hearts will pre-qualify for the Champions League and no wonder they're celebrating. It's almost like a cup win. Congratulations there to everybody in a very emotional Romanov in the stand. And they're entitled to the celebration. So, full-time... And the Jambos had done it. What was it like post-match? Because 
I was in I was in section G and I stayed back like everyone else did in the stadium and it was like I mean you get that at the end of the season anyway at home you know everyone stays back and the players come out but it was a real party this time what was it like um, in the press box and behind the scenes there's supposedly an old adage that the press box should remain neutral <laughs> bollocks <laughs> bollocks to that uh, it's harder now because you've got you've got club media officials, commentators, reporters, whatever. It's it's very hard, uh, especially these days when you've got more and more media representing the, the actual club itself. When the final whistle went, there's, there's certain things that stand above all else as a heart supporter. And granted, we've not had that much success comparable to Rangers and Celtic. So I think these moments are easier to remember. I heard a noise that I've rarely heard before. The, the atmosphere um, was was incredible at the end. It was a it was a, a relief. It was a joy. It was uh, it was it was just a we've done it atmosphere. And I want to take you back to a stoppage time. So we've already said set this up. The referee Stuart Dougal. Um, Paul Hartley, by this stage, is getting rather agitated. This is the prologue from the book um, that I did with Gary Mackay and Stephen Presley called Believe. It's a short one, so bear with me. Prologue, 3rd of May 2006. The tension was insufferable. Just minutes remained. Fingernails were practically gnawed down to the knuckles. Tancastle Stadium had never before seen scenes like it. Heart supporters were regularly checking their watches, willing the second hand to move quicker. The dream would soon become reality if only their beloved team could hold on to their precious one-goal lead against Aberdeen. The possibility of Champions League football for the first time was just around the corner. Meanwhile, on the pitch, match referee Stuart Dougal, the man who would ultimately determine when the celebrations could begin, was being incessantly pestered by a frantic midfielder, desperate for him to blow the full-time whistle. Goal scorer Paul Hartley, along with nearly everyone else inside the stadium, was getting very anxious and impatient as the game entered stoppage time. Paul Hartley, quote, Oi, ref, how long to go? That must be a bit time up. Stuart Dougal, quote, One minute remaining, Paul. Hartley, come on, ref, how long now? 30 seconds left. Hartley, that must be now time, ref. Seconds to go. Hartley, you're having a laugh. That's time up, surely. Dougal, five minutes extra, Paul. What? Are you taking a piss? <laughs> at that point, says Dougal, I winked at Takis Fisas and let him know I was about to blow the whistle. I just didn't let Paul see me. And those were the words written by me, but from Stuart Dougal, uh, <laughs> who I know, and he was, he was um, happy to, to do that. I left out a couple of F-bombs and, and, and whatever. Stuart did say that, that Paul was was rather blasphemous towards him, but he knew that there wasn't going to be any time. Stuart Diggle knew there wasn't going to be any time for another attack um, from, from Aberdeen. And it was interesting as well because not many people have, have, have spoken to Stuart um, about that night as well. And um, he, I'm not saying he had a soft spot for for Hearts. I, I always liked him as a referee, but I suppose I was I was blinkered by the fact I knew him through Tom Miller, um, who introduced me to him many many years previously. Tom, who does the commentary <laughs> for Rangers, but Stuart says uh, as a FIFA official, and a bloody good one as well, and he's he's officiated all over Europe in various competitions. He still says to this day that is one of his favourite memories as a referee, being in charge of Tynecastle, and he, you asked me what was the press box like, he said there was a noise level that you would think there was 65,000 inside Tynecastle that night, not 15, uh, sorry, 17,327. He said he'll always re remember that because of what it meant for Hearts. It's one thing when you officiate Rangers and Celtic, I suppose it's, it's like officiating the old firm in, in European competition, um, the, the referees that get the chance to, to do that, if, if they go on a, a run that they're not expected to do, Rangers reaching the, the UEFA Cup final in 08, Celtic doing so in 2002. It's the special moments. And Stuart says that night at Tynecastle was 
was one of his favourite matches um, that he's he's ever been in charge. And he said that he had no doubt whatsoever that he was going to award the penalty um, when when Russell Anderson handled. But he he loved it that night. I think it's one of those. It's not just a you know a trophy winning moment in terms of a cup is mm, incredible. True. It's unbelievable, but it it doesn't necessarily mean anything for your club long term other than you've won that trophy you know you've got the bragging rights you can celebrate it um but this moment at that time you know we still had those ridiculous dreams they they are they were a little bit ridiculous at the time and they're very ridiculous now looking back but you know we thought we're going to make hearts a force i don't think anyone thought we're going to win the champions league but i think a lot of us genuinely thought if if the investment continues and we can make that step and qualify for the group stages, the investment that comes with that, you know, we could potentially really grow and properly challenge the old firm on a regular basis and, and maybe become a more recognisable force in Europe. Not to the extent that Mr Romanov was, you know, going on about from the early stages, but that felt like a big step, you know, getting to the Champions League, albeit it was qualifiers, but, you know, when you heard that music playing out at the end, albeit we wouldn't be able to ever play it in an actual competitive game because you can't play it to the group stages or you at least could at the playoffs at some point, but we would never be able to play it, blah, blah, blah. But that felt like a big step towards the dream, I suppose, didn't it? It did. And, and I mentioned, and we both spoke about the lineup, bloody good players. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah. really good players. And, and I'm not saying we, we kind of dared to dream, but it, it was the following season um, in the July, and we've beaten Shiroki Brieg at home um, by three goals to nil. And that secured our spot against Athens. And you, you kind of, I know we were underdogs there, but we still kind of thought, yeah, we, we've got a chance here. And look, th- things unraveled pretty quickly, losing at home, Jamie Mole starting as a lone striker in, in Athens. But you're right, a- after that game, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure we've had as much quality in a squad. Uh, ultimately, the payment and the the paying of wages to that squad put us in the shit because we were financially mismanaged. Um, it, it, it's funny when you... Oh, see, it's funny. It's not really. Um, when you consider and compare what Rangers did um, with EBTs, whether it was legal or illegal, and they had players playing for them that they shouldn't really have, have been able to afford. In the end, they couldn't. And in the in the same way, it was the same with Hearts. I don't know what Jankowskis was on. I don't know what Fisas was on. We've got a fair idea that Tall was on a hell of a lot of money. These are guys that are on, on big bucks. So you don't think about that. As a fan at the time, you just enjoy That's we're not in charge of the club's finances. That, that's for somebody else. You've got to put faith in the owner that he's got enough money to be able to afford it. But that squad, Laurie, that, that we had, I think is the most talented squad that I've ever seen as a heart, in my time as a heart supporter. So no wonder that we kind of thought, maybe privately, uh, some would say to others, this, we could actually do something. Could we be playing in the Champions League? I don't think that was a fair, a fair hope to have in the summer of 2006, ahead of the, the Champions League campaign. So, um, next game, a, a quick quick bonus point here for you. Next game, Ibrox, obviously meaningless, mm-hmm. hearts-rested players. They brought the newspapers, as you mentioned, so for those of you who can't remember, um, <laughs> the hearts fans who got tickets in the way in that day, it was quite hard to get tickets for that, which is funny because it was, was Ibrox it? and it meant, no- I, it meant I, nothing. I didn't know that. We were commenting on the game and the section was, was sold out, but I I would assume that the tickets had gone on sale long before the Aberdeen game in the, in the kind of proviso that this this could potentially be a decider or a party. Yeah, and they even cheered the two Rangers goals, the pointless goals. Remember that, Chris Boyd? But yeah. do you remember who captained us at Ibrox? Ooh. Is that when they gave the armband to Scatchel? It was, yes. Rudy yeah. Skatchel was captain for for Hearts at Ibrox, a, a team which was Steve Banks, Neregis Barassa, Lee Wallace, Martin Petras, 
Julian Brellier, Christoph Berra, Mirsad Bezlija, Bruno Aguiar, <laughs> Mikael Pospisil, Callum Elliott, and skipper for the day, Rudy Scatchel. So there you go. Lee Johnson, Saul Mikulunis, and Yuho Makala came off the bench. Um, but there you go. Hearts did qualify for the qualifiers of the Champions League. They wouldn't make it all the way to the group stages. But that night on Wednesday, the 3rd of May, 20, uh, 2006, will live long in the memory and will wipe out any other Hearts memories that have ever come before on the 3rd of May. Won't it? Yeah. yeah. Might have won the league and might have won the cup. <laughs> well, but we're not going to get onto that. Okay, moving on. So uh, I thought we'd quickly look through the subject that we put to you all a few weeks ago, but we didn't get to. So apologies for not getting to it before. But this was your favourite non-hearts footballing days out. And we got quite a few responses to this. So I'm going to try and get through as many as I can, because I thought it'd be a a little bit different um, to go through this. So Anne Waddle says, uh, not a match, but a stadium tour at the new Camp was amazing. I've done that tour actually myself, and I I got a photo of me, which my other half rolled her eyes when I asked her to take, wearing the Hearts kit that they wore against Barcelona, doing the Yuho Makala celebration, holding the grabbing the badge. I'll have to see if I've got that photo somewhere. I have done the same, and I am embarrassed because for some reason, and I don't no idea why. I took a Newcastle United jersey, 97-98 Newcastle United jersey, to Spain with me, and I wore that jersey. Why? No idea. Did I take a Hearts jersey with me? No idea. So now when I look back, you've got this great memory of being at camp now, new camp, whatever, with a Hearts jersey on, and a bloody Newcastle jersey, and it's just like, why am I going to show that to anybody? Stupid. Deary me. Um, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which was formerly Foxtrot Oscar. You see what they've done now? Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Um, WTF. <laughs> it says, we headed to Lisbon for a stag trip. Planned to see Benfica. <laughs> Turns out to be the game they'll win the league with, but it's a full house with no tickets available. Got tickets for an evening game at Belenenses. Um, standard was poor and the stadium was empty, but was a great occasion. I, I haven't been to a game in Portugal before. I, I know that you have, certainly at least one. Um, but the the Benfica and Porto games especially are meant to be huge, aren't they? Yeah. Lucky enough to do the Braga Hearts game um, when Mark de Vries got a couple. Of course. Um, that was a great trip. That was a great trip. Well, the Hearts fans certainly enjoyed it because we flew into... Where did we flew into? Lisbon? Um, what's the other one? Oh my God, I've just had a total blank. Porto, we flew into Porto, of course we did. And then it was about an hour an hour north of there, goodness. But yeah, that, that was a good trip. We had a lot of, a lot of good trips with uh, with Hearts. But Portuguese Portuguese football is very technical. And we, we, have the, we actually have the rights to it at ESPN. So I've, I've done some, if there's no Serie A games. Um, Do you see who you might be commentating on next season then? Who? Ryan Gold, his Firenze side are now promoted to the top flight. He was their top scorer, oh, I believe. Good. I think I they've finished their do, league, um, so they've confirmed the promotions. Right, okay. I was hoping to do Liam Henderson in Serie A um, this season, but he, he's back with Brescia on loan. Uh, so I wouldn't give the uh, the commentary Henderson to deliver. Um, that would certainly not be uttered. Ugh. But Portuguese soccer, yeah, a lot of like, the games, we actually had the rights for the, bizarrely, it's the way they were structured. We had the rights, and we have the rights for the away teams, um, if they're Porto or Benfica or Sporting. Okay. So you get these games against Belenenses and Vitoria Setubal, and it's tough because there's no more than four or five thousand in some of the grounds, and the standard is 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 not the greatest. Um, there is a, a a huge dichotomy in the standard of, of lower yeah. uh, top flight Portuguese to top flight. I was watching some <clears throat> some Portuguese football, I remember it was a wee while ago, 
and it was a couple of those games. It was probably from a betting aspect, to be honest. Um, and I remember I was having this. Was, com- that, was that the one? Was it, was that the bet? You remember you messaged me. You had a big bet, and you were waiting for something to come up. Was that Portuguese? Oh, I can't remember. I've had a lot of them, um, <laughs> but not all of them good. Uh, but this game, I remember just. I can't remember who I was speaking to at the time, but I said. You know, as much as Scottish football gets criticised, some of these games where you see Porto and Benfica and Sporting Lisbon, like you mentioned, those sides going away from home, it, it, you'd think it was like non-league or something with yeah, you know yeah. a few people in there crumbling stadiums. And what was the game where the stadium actually started falling apart mid-game? <laughs> Remember that? That wasn't too long ago. And it was, I'm sure it was well, top you, you, say, you say it wasn't too long ago. Everything now feels like about a decade ago. I know, ago. I know. I know. I, the Juvent- Juventus against Inter behind closed doors feels like an eternity ago. That was the last game that, that we commentated on at ESPN, and it feels it feels like forever. That Hearts game that you were at, the St. Mirren game. <laughs> I like how you're, the last game you covered was Juve Inter, and I covered St. Mirren Hearts. <laughs> yeah, but you were in Paisley, and I was in a booth in Bristol, Connecticut. That's the game. Here's what would we have Ann Budge in charge of a task force? Um, looking into potential reconstruction of the leagues in Scotland if Hearts had won that game against St Mirren Probably not. were not bottom <laughs> of the table. Probably not. Um, on Italian football, uh, Loose Woman says, uh, Sampdoria versus Inter Milan, last game of the season, May 2008, involved tenant super on tap, fantastic seats, mm-hmm. penalty, sending off Del Piero, Sampdoria coming from behind to draw 3-3 and qualify for Europe, fantastic experience, went to Monaco Grand Prix the following weekend. And that seems like a good weekend. Yeah, they love their tennis super in Italy. When, whenever I go to Rome, it's all over the place. You see the bottles really? of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I've just found tenants lager in our local off-license, our liquor store around the corner. And it's actually, I don't know if you guys have got rules or, or whatever laws or, or anything in Scotland with regards <laughs> no, to... No, we have no laws here. <laughs> with regards to alcohol... I don't, if you've got a sugar tax that can change the taste of iron brew, anything's possible. But I know that your tenants in Scotland is not 5%. It's 5% over here. And it's all right. It's It's got yeah, a kick like to it. It's like four point middle, four, four and a yes, half or something. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't drink um, it. But tenant, tenant super, that's normally what the Jakeys used to drink. Yeah, it's like 9% or something, isn't it? Oh, now we're talking. Um. Christian Vallen says, quarterfinal in the Norwegian Cup 2019, Ranheim-Fram-Larvik. Fram-Larvik reached the quarterfinal for the first time since 1953, lost 3-0, but what a great day out it was in Trondheim. And he sent a video as well. And that's um, my, my Norwegian friend, Christian, who I've met up with a couple of times now. And actually, when we can, at some point in the future, planning to go there to Larvik, south coast of Norway. It looks a lovely little town. So I'm I'm looking forward to at some point being able to do something like go and watch Norwegian lower league football. I'd love to just to go to Norway. It's one of the mm. it's one of the countries I was never um, fortunate enough to go to. I did a lot of, of traveling with Hearts, um, uh, Hibs and Dunfermline, Livingston. I uh, got to Liechtenstein. Did I was at the is it the Ulevi Stadium or the Ulevi? No, Ulevi Stadium's Norway, isn't it? That's Oslo. That's where they have the track meet, the athletics. And the Ulevi Stadium is, is Gothenburg, where Aberdeen won the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, I did BK Haken against Dunfermline and from that stadium. <laughs> um, then uh, Denmark, I did... Uh, Ulrich Larsson was playing against Hibs, I think, for Bromby. I've been to that, been to that stadium. Yeah, that's a good stadium. A uh, really good stadium. It's sponsored by Carlsberg. Um, there's a beer theme to this week's show. Um, but never never did Norway. Lucky enough to do Estonia and Latvia. And <laughs> By the way, I think I told you this one before, but in case I haven't, I was writing, was it Believe or Gary's book, on a Hibs supporters bus going halfway across Latvia in the middle of summer with the aircon broken and the sunroof not working. Um, I can't remember which book it was but I wasn't telling them I was writing a Hearts book on a Hibs <laughs> supporters bus because that was the one they played Dinaberg and we had to go was it Kevin Thomas's mother's company 
a travel agency, uh, might have been. And we weren't allowed to go with a team um, because they were just going on like a 30-odd-seater charter. So we, the journalists, had to had to find our own way there. So we just we went with the Hibs fans. But I had to write a Hearts book because I had a deadline coming. I'll tell you what, that was cloak and dagger. And, the, and those were some Hardy boys. There were more records in that bus than HMV, trust me. Oof. <laughs> Billy... Yeah, some rough ones. <laughs> Billy Steedman says Newcastle versus Tranmere 1992 I think last cash gate at St James's I believe 30,000 gates closed at nice. half two in the score in the scoreboard section Gallogate end Toon Army Toon Army was the chant our mate Derek Strachan heard to know me to know me always a popular one with the Scots Newcastle because it's almost Scotland isn't it really um uh, be You've been there? You've been to St James's Park? I've not, no. I planned to before, oh, and then I, I was going to go to the Stadium of Light, but no, it does look a, a cracking one, and the atmosphere is always is always good at St James's, isn't it? Yeah, my first trip there was, um, it was a family trip. Mum and, and sister went, um, went shopping. We went down on the train, so Dad and me went to the football in 88. We got to see, how about this? We got to see a team, a Newcastle team, playing Norwich. Uh, who had Brian Gunn and Gold. The Newcastle team had John Robertson, Dave McCreary, Darren Jackson and Michael O'Neill all mm. playing. Uh, I think it was Willie McFall's team. So that, because I used to go out with a girl from Newcastle, I spent a fair bit of time down there and I was lucky enough to go to Newcastle against Barcelona in the Champions League when Tino Espria scored a hat-trick. I remember watching it. Was uh, it 4-3 or something crazy? It was 3-2. It was um, I think Rivaldo had scored for Barca, but if the game had gone on any longer, Barca would have would have come back. Um, but those were the two games. The 88 game with Robbo playing um, and the 90, whatever it was, 96 maybe, um, with with uh, Tino Espria's hat-trick. Been a, many more since. Um, I just I just love the stadium. It's, it's a strange one because the away fans are right up the back, top tier behind the goal. Yeah. Um, they put them that's the seventh tier or, or something like that. But Newcastle was always a a decent trip out. Uh, Middlesbrough, I went with Hearts. Um, this was one of Brian Robson's first games in charge, and I, we, we didn't get a police escort from the border. But it was around the time that the cops weren't too happy of of Scottish teams playing down there. Um, I know we played in Derby and got chased, but Middlesbrough. I, I was in the, the terracing, so this was before I was kind of um, working, so I went as a fan. That was that was a little bit intimidating, um, not so much the game itself and being in there in the terraces because you were, you were caged in, but just before and after the game, there were a few trips to England in the kind of mid-90s whereby you just had to be aware and alert. Good fun, I mean. Um, before and after the game in the pubs or whatever, away from the stadium. I'm sure um, they were fun, but it just got a wee bit nasty, but just a wee bit, bit naughty. Weary, wee bit naughty. A wee bit <laughs> naughty. Um, and Alan Johnson, when he played at Sunderland, I went down to see him at the stadium. Another really good stadium as well, the Stadium of Light. Uh, Lynn says Yokohama Marinos versus Alberex Negata. Uh, which is the team they were supporting. Um, Alberex won 2-0 in the Nissan Stadium, thus stopping Shunsuke Nakamura's team winning the league in front of over 70,000 fans. It was a brilliant day out. That's one. I've, I've certainly never got close to J-League, but I, I've seen some of the clips, and they they do get a fairly hefty support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't been to... I'd love to go to Japan. Um, I just... Having watched the World Cup in 2 and... Just having dealt with some Japanese media when Nakamura was at Celtic, they're the most polite people from the golfers. They're, they're obsessed by sport. Nakamura must have had about 10 um, journalists that followed him everywhere he went when he was at Celtic. And um, it's the same in tennis with Kena Shikori, uh, Yoshikawa in the golf. Even yeah, National had can, a little entourage at every mm-hmm. game. And I can imagine. They were doing... Um, they were covering him for for something back in Japan, I think, because uh, there was one of them who was very keen to ask uh, Stendhal why Meshino wasn't getting a game a couple of times. Understandably, so it's like, yeah. I, hey, I could end up having to go back to Japan because you're not playing this boy. So, hey, come on, 
Um, Catch22 says, Junior Cup final was m- with Musselburgh Athletic in 2010-11. Multiple mm-hmm. coaches were packed from the hole in the wah, uh, boozer. Um, uh, the pub in Kilmarnock was booked out for us, steaming prior to kick-off, and we were very unlucky to lose in extra time. Party continued till the wee small hours. Uh, that was Auchinleck Talbot they were playing. I didn't go to that final, but I, I was at the one in 2015, um, which was also at Rugby Park, and Musselburgh also lost 2-1, also losing to Auchinleck Talbot, who obviously tend to clean up at that level. But it was a really good day out, actually. I really enjoyed it. It was a, a really good turnout. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's great, junior football, and it's, it's something I need to do more of, actually. I went past the, the Olive Bank the other day when I was out for my daily exercise, and it looked... The res- Olive Bank, or has it got a V in front of it, or is it just Olive Bank? Because that's what it used to be when I lived in Scotland, oh, I'm going down Olive Bank, but if you live in Musselburgh, do you get to call it the oh. Olive Bank? Oh, I, I'm, I'm probably getting it wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a born and bred muscle burger. Um <laughs> probably just say I should I live like five minutes away from it so I should go to it because I've never been to see them there which is pretty bad but I would like to bump into Billy Brown is always there I bumped into Billy Brown in the pub down the end of my street actually um just chatting to him doesn't not a big fan of Craig Levine um (laughs) (laughs) and the understatement of this podcast goes to (laughs) anyway we'll leave we'll leave that at that um Stevie Morris says, uh, November 2011, Boca Juniors versus Belgrano. Belgrano oh, wow. cheered onto the park as they'd relegated River Plate. River. <laughs> nearly, nearly everyone in the stadium had a Gracias Belgrano banner when the teams came out. <laughs> Normal hostilities resumed at kickoff. Nil Love nil, it. but what an atmosphere. It was mental, and Diego was there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Willie Laidlaw says Saint Vincent. Oh, this is a good one. Saint Vincent in the Caribbean. I was one nice. of the match officials representing Canada when S when Saint Vincent played Honduras in a World Cup qualifier. Spent three days there and toured the west side of the island by boat day after the game. Fantastic place, food, and people. Um, I'm going to throw a really random, and I don't know why I know this, right? St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I, I love that name, by the way. It sounds like a band. It sounds it? like a band. <laughs> Between 2016 and 2018, I knew this before, and I can't remember why, they were managed by someone called Cornelius Bernard Huggins, a.k.a. Outlaw. Why? <laughs> 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 I love that. I don't, there was Saint Vincent came up before, and this is probably going to be obscure betting. Is probably why it came up. And me and my pal at the time looked up the team out of interest. How do Saint Vincent and the Grenadines get on? And their manager was like, "Ah, Cornelius Bernard Huggins, what a name!" And then we opened up his Wikipedia page, and after his name, it says AKA Outlaw. What what AKA would you give to to football managers in Scotland? Oh, there's a question wow. for you. Yeah, I'd, I'd need time. I'd need time. Um, but yeah, we won't get into that now. That could open up a whole can of worms when we're getting into the the final the final straight. Um, St. Vincent, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. It's a wonderful name, and it sounds like a very good place as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking with all these um, wonderful tales from. Um, Lynn in Japan and Willie um, officiating in St. Vincent and and the the tweet that came in to go down to Argentina. Um, the furthest, what's the furthest uh, away from from Scotland you've ever seen a game, Laurie Dunsire? Oh me, I've not been. I've never. I have never left Europe, so um, I can't give you can't give you anything very far. Um, God, I'd have to. It might shockingly be just the games I go to in Rome. Actually, to be honest, I'm trying to think. Oh, fine. I'm trying to think well. of, um, because I've been to games in outside of the UK. I've been to. Where have I been? I've been in the Czech Republic. Um, I've been in. Uh, I'm glad I asked. I'm trying to think what would be. I feel like Rome would be furthest without me probably double checking, but um, 
Yeah. Not been out of Europe, me. Just Oh. Yeah. Uh, I did a I did a World Cup qualifier between Iraq and Australia, but it wasn't in Iraq. It had to be played in Dubai when we were there. The farthest one I went to was I set myself a challenge in 2007 when I went to Australia between Radio Fourth and Top 107 of doing all four codes of football okay. when I was in Sydney. And the last one I did was Sydney FC. I'd done uh, the Rugby League, the Rugby Union, and the AFL, the Swans, at the SCG. So the last one was Sydney FC against uh, Persik Kediri, who were the Indonesian Premier League champions, and it was played in Parramatta. That's the furthest uh, away I've ever seen a game, because I I didn't see anything in New Zealand when I was there. But the reason I mention that is because it's the only time I've ever caught the football I've come close commentating at Time Castle when it's been thundered by a, 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 a left back or a right back or whatever. Um, it's just skiffed the dugouts, the old main stand, and usually ended up in the, the little media row, um, but never actually held the ball there. But that was the only time I was, I've been able to, to touch a, the, the match ball during play. You ever done that? I think I've had to just throw it back before but not catch it just like ended up in the row but not a not a catch i'd like to get i'd like to be able to put my head on it at some point but might might yeah, not be, a, be might not be a good idea when i've got a headset on and commentating and then, and to be Indeed. fair given the fact that i commentate from the back of the wheatfield stand now <laughs> it would take some clue it would take Even some clue <laughs> Stevie Kirk probably couldn't even reach that high up. Um, Christoph Beres slice, maybe. <laughs> I played for Dundee. Were you a fan of, at the time when Stevie Kirk leathered the ball into the first few rows of the Wheatfield stand, claiming it was a clearance, but not so sure? Or was no, that before your be time? Before, before my time. I'm really glad I did this segment, because this is three minutes of utter shite that we've just come out with, so... You can feel free to edit this out. It may appear. If it doesn't appear, you'll never know. If it does appear, then maybe it shouldn't have done. Right, we've we got plenty more messages uh, about um, non-hearts football and days out. We might come back to them, but we are pushed for time. Um, don't want to go on too much, so we might come back to them. But um, I think that just about brings us to the end of of this week's show do you mark have anything you want to put out there in terms of fresh homework for people to yeah have a think about yeah i do uh, as i was driving to the supermarket earlier knowing that i was doing the podcast this afternoon i came up with the task of setting homework so you can usually as you normally do tweak it um so here's here's what i've got a person character or, or whatever your, your, your favorite over the years person associated with hearts but they're not allowed to be a player or they're not allowed to be a manager okay it could be it could be china who a lot of hearts fans obviously <laughs> know um it, it could be the guy that used to sell the programs outside the old tsb um on on gorgi road it doesn't have to. It could be a coach. It, it could be. It could be Billy Brown if you wanted. But the stipulation is: it's not allowed to be a player, and it's not allowed to be a manager. It could be your best pal, or or whoever. But you've got to have a story as to why you've chosen that person as the most memorable person in your life. Associated, it could be your mum and dad, or whatever. Uh, just come up with some some good tales with that. But okay. no managers and no players. So your your favourite person connected to Hearts, but not a player or ex-player or manager or, or ex-manager. Yeah, and fans okay. count as connections. Yeah, you don't have to be employed by the football. No, no, no. It can be. Yeah, it could be any 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 connection. Okay. There's some character. I mean, they're lucky enough to go on these away trips. Um, I've not done anywhere near as as many as a lot of the other ones. Um, there's Hearts have really got some some characters. Uh, among their support, some very very funny people, but I would not want to go uh, drink for drink with some of them because <laughs> I would have no chance. There's some there's some hardy ones out there that can can put a few pints away. Uh, I, I want to nominate one of them. I want to nominate Ian Hunter. 
from from Penny Peak. Um, Nominate this is, guy... is, is this going to be a a vote? No, is it? <laughs> no, not at all. I don't know why I used the word nominate. Just as someone who I grew up with, and it was always on the Hearts bus. The Pennycook Hearts bus that I went there, they were the most enthusiastic members of, of the Hearts support that I think I've ever met. And Ian Hunter would think Hearts could win the World Cup if they were able to enter it. It was just, it was total positivity all the time. And and even after a defeat, yeah, he was pissed off or whatever, but there was always a, just drown your sorrows over a pint, we go again. And his son Neil now is, is, is very positive uh, as well. It, it's tough. But just, just recognition for for some of the kind of unsung heroes that that um, that are associated with with Hearts. I think that would be a nice bit of homework to do for next time. Yep. So tweet us at around the funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk with your your favourite people connected to Hearts, but not players or managers. So so let us know, and we'll go through those next week. Uh, but yeah, it's been enjoyable this week thinking about that time when Hearts. Uh, qualified for the the biggest club tournament in the world and felt like we were close to becoming a a real force and that and that music played out which is what I'm going to end with obviously because it obviously played out at Tynecastle that night a certain player decided to try and sing along to it it's it's not really a song you sing along to though is it is this the Champions League la 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 from Takis Fisa it is yes a great moment on the mic though who would it have been? Would Scott have been down there with him? Would he? Yeah. Yeah. Champions League, la la la, indeed, and although it didn't end. It didn't, it didn't work out quite as we would have hoped. Uh, it was a great night, and Hearts became one of the few teams in modern history to, to I guess, split the old firm when they're both in the same division. Um, so yeah, 3rd of May, 2006, good memories. We will be back next week, maybe with some more good memories. And um, until then, thanks for joining me, Mark. Yeah.